0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, I'm so good to spend, so glad to spend some time with you. Uh, my name's Kevin, if you haven't met yet, and I'd love to connect with you after service. I like to hang out, out at Guest Central, just out in the lobby, and I'd love to say hi to you. Hear what brought you to New Life, connect with you a little bit, uh, just be my pleasure. Uh, so fun to have Kelsey up on stage. Kelsey and Jazz just got engaged a couple weeks ago, and it's my first time to embarrass them, so. Uh, congratulations, you guys. So happy for you. I love it when people who I love fall in love. So, so exciting. So uh, that's just absolutely awesome. Awesome. Uh, hey, a couple quick things that I want to lend my voice to on top of what Kelsey has already shared with you. I want you to grab your program, open it up, and I want you to grab two things. The first is this uh, summer groups Uh, flyer here. We're talking right now about how to make this place your home. And so one of the things that we believe is that rows are great. I, I make a living talking to people in rows. I'm glad you're in rows. I'm glad you come and sit in rows to hear what we want to talk about. But if you want to make this place your home, you got to find your people. And one of the ways to find your people is to join a group and connect with other people who are on a similar spiritual journey that you're on. And so what we're doing this summer is just trying to help you connect with other people who you might find enjoyable. One of the ways to do that is to join a group. And part of joining a group is simple. At some point in the next half hour, when I lose your interest, and it's okay, it's okay if I do— All I want you to do is grab this little card, flip it over, and look for your top three demographics. A demographic would be where you fall. So for example, 20-somethings, I have not been in that demographic for a long, long time. So I would not mark that down. If you think you're a 20-something, check your birth date, find your license. 20-somethings, young adults, newly marrieds. We've got some really cool uh, Spanish-speaking communities we're starting to form up. We've got some sign language communities we're starting to form up. We're trying to help you connect in the right spot with the right people to enjoy this journey together. And so I would like you to put down your top three preferences of demographic if you'd like to join a group this summer. And the groups will happen twice a month. You'll get to know some people. You'll have some fun. I really want to encourage you if you're starting out in the church. And we did a survey about a month ago And almost 40% of you are new in the last couple years to this church, which is so, so exciting. But that means that it's time to take your next step, make this place your home by finding your community. So at some point, fill this out. After service, we're going to have our guest services team standing in the back by the doors with little baskets. You would just drop this card into the basket when it comes. The other thing is we're having a big group's barbecue coming up, and there's a flyer in your program about that. That's a can't-miss event if you're in a group or you want to get into a group. All right, today— we are finishing up our bad blood series. Because isn't it true that bad bloods can come in any relationship at any time, for any reason? And we've realized over the course of the series that you can have peace about a relationship, even if you don't have peace in the relationship. Now, our goal would be peace in relationships. But there are some relationships that you just can't have peace And we're going to talk about what do you do when you don't have peace in the relationship because the truth is you can have peace about all relationships. And peace is key to joy. And here's something I know about you because you and I aren't that different. We want to have joy in our lives. We want to have happiness. We don't want to be consumed by anger, frustration, bitterness. We don't want to have to walk into work or home or church and figure out who's in the room at that moment and where we have to walk. We don't want to have to make little trips to the bathroom because someone walked through the door that we don't like. There's no peace there and there's no joy there. And so we've been talking in this series about how do we find peace about relationships, even before we find peace in relationships. And here's what we learned. It actually depends on you. So the author that we've been looking at is a guy named Paul. We're going to continue with some of his thoughts today. But Paul was up to his neck in bad blood relationships. He had a whole Jewish community that didn't like him. He had a whole Jesus-following community that was kind of leery of him. And Paul said these words, if you want to have peace about relationships, he said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you have a role to play. And oftentimes when we get into relationships that we feel like they're characterized by bad blood, we think it's all your fault. But we talked about the fact that it's not always ever all the other person. You can have peace as far as depends on you if you live at peace with everyone. And then we walked through a path for four weeks trying to explore how do we do that. And it's a progression. And so you're coming in today to the end of a series, and if you think at some point today, hey, that's pretty good. I kind of like that. You need to go back and hear the first three weeks of this series because they will walk you towards this spot. If we get to this point today and you think to yourself, I can't wait, I cannot wait to talk about this topic, you've, you've missed the first three parts. I need you to go back because if you're super excited about what we're talking about today, you have not taken the journey with us up to this point. Here was a journey we took. We said the path to peace— is paved with self-awareness. Because anytime a relationship breaks down, I showed you a pie chart on the first week, we like to think that it's 100% their fault. But in every relational breakdown, it's at least 8% your fault. And self-awareness is figuring out what your 8% is. Because until you know that, you're always going to be pointing at them and never looking at you. So, we talked about self awareness, and I shared with you listen, if you have multiple people in your life who are saying similar things to you about relational breakdowns, you need to do some work in self awareness. Or, if there's one key person, a spouse, a child, your business partner, a close friend, and they're mirroring to you that there's something that you're bringing to the relationship that isn't working, you need to do some digging into self awareness. What is it that I'm bringing? to this relationship that's causing this break. The path to peace is paved with self-awareness and something that we call empathy. And empathy is all about taking the long walk around and seeing life from the other person's perspective. And two weeks ago, I had you fold your hands like this. Do you remember? Fold your hands like this. And then fold it with the other thumb on top. And it felt so unnatural. And I said to you, this is what empathy feels like. Because empathy is suspending my judgment for a minute and trying to feel and understand and see things from the other person's point of view. And once you've done the work of self-awareness and empathy, Pastor Ron did a brilliant job of telling us the next step, which is go, go, go. Go to the other person. Because until you go to the other person, you can't actually fix the break that's happening. And if you realize that someone has wronged you, you go to the other person And repent, which is this big stained glass word that simply means you change the way you think, which leads you to change the way you act. You go to them and say, you know what? I realize that I've wronged you. I was thinking this thing about you, doing this thing to you. It was no good. So I'm changing my thoughts and I'm changing my actions. I'm going to repent. You would say something like this. I'm so sorry that I hurt you will you please forgive me? Oh my gosh, those words can be so healing in bad blood relationships, but it doesn't come until you've done some self-awareness work and then some empathy work. And if you realize someone has wronged you, you got to forgive, which feels so counterintuitive and countercultural in our eye-for-an-eye world that says forgive. No, I'm going to hold on to my anger. I'm going to hold on to my rights. I should—you wronged me. You have—you've done something to me, and it feels like you're holding me hostage. Why would I forgive you for that? But we talked about the fact that God wants to be your hostage negotiator when someone's wronged you. And if you forgive them, it's like setting the prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner was you. Because forgiveness releases control of a person back to God who ultimately says that he will judge rightly. And it frees you and I up from having to be the judge of that person. We can simply, we can give them the forgiveness even before they ask for it. And then we can give them the blessing that maybe they've never received. And in doing that, sometimes we get them to change their thinking and walk towards us. And they might just repent and you might just find the healing that you ultimately long for. Now, the goal of this series, we've said from the beginning, is that you would find peace in your relationship. But the problem is this. There are some relationships that will never be fully resolved. Because in the words of Rob Bass, it takes two to make a thing go right. Right? You know what I'm talking about? It takes two to make it outside. Uh, By the way, uh, worship team, that was my audition. Please call me. I feel like I nailed it. The thing we've been missing in our church worship is that high, high male voice. I feel like I've got it. But it takes two to make that decision. And the reason why some relationships will never be fully resolved is because there are two parties involved. And it takes two to make a thing go right. And the question we're talking about today is, how long does it depend on me? Because Paul says, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But how long does it depend on you? How many times do you keep going back if every time you put your hand out, your hand gets bit? At what point do you say, my continued extension of assistance to you is actually irresponsible of me and it's hurting me and it's not fixing our relationship it's actually enabling a broken system that is not bringing peace what do i do when it takes two to make a thing go right and one of the two is not willing to reengage what do you do especially when there are toxic people that you cannot step away from. Maybe you're related by blood. Maybe you're related in business. Maybe you sit next to them in a cubicle and there is no moving. What do you do with a toxic person who is not turning, who is not apologizing, who is not forgiving? What do you do? Because it takes two to make a thing go right. See, the Bible talks about certain types of people who you may never be fully reconciled with. The Bible calls them foolish people or fools. And here's what the Bible says about fools. Foolish people or fools continually behave in ways that hurt themselves and hurt others. And you might find yourself right now as the other this being hurt. I, I love this from the book of Proverbs. Uh, it says, as a dog returns to its vomit. Ew, that's disgusting. But the author's trying to make a point here. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. And this author of Proverbs, uh, he's kind of like, he wrote all these really wise sayings that, that basically like, most of the time this will happen. Most of, if you want to hedge your bets, he, he wrote basically these little tiny pithy sayings that go great on coffee cups. Although I have not seen a coffee cup for this one yet, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping maybe it's a toilet seat. I don't know. Uh, I'm hope that's disgusting. That is really inappropriate. Who said that? Someday, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. The question for you, and the question for me is this. At what point do you establish a boundary? Now, again, if you're sitting here and you just got a little bit giddy because you're thinking, oh, good, now's when I get to cut people out, (laughs) you've missed the journey of the series. You got to go back. Self-awareness, empathy, forgiveness, going to the person, repenting. But what do you do? Because it depends on two. At what point do you set a boundary? And here's our working definition for a boundary for the context of this series. A boundary defines what's in my yard. What am I responsible for? What do I need to water? What are my plants? Where is my dog? And what's in your yard? What are you responsible for? And it separates out what is mine and what is yours. Because in bad blood relationships with toxic people, especially if they're close to us, it becomes so hard to figure out what is mine and what is yours. And all of the the ideas, the points from this message today, come from this book by Drs. Cloud and Townsend called Boundaries. Now, I want you to write this down in your notes because at some point you might think, oh, this message reminds me of, and you have a person. If that's you, your takeaway from today is to get this book. And to read it, because I'm going to give us a flyover of boundaries. I'm going to look at some principles around boundaries, but I cannot, I can't walk you through if you're in a toxic relationship that has blurred together some things that need to be separated out, where you need to define your yard, let them define their yard. You really need to read this book. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage that for some of you might be familiar, for others it might be brand new, but I'm guessing for most of us you've never thought about it in this context— but in order to do it, to talk about boundaries from this uh, this letter that this guy Paul writes to a church in Galatia, I need two volunteers to come up and help me. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you the villain. I just need two volunteers to come help me. So, okay, Gail, thank you. Come on up. I need one more person to help me. One, Thank you, Leslie. Wow, that is fantastic. Yes, you are terrified of me. I get it. I get it. Hey, yeah, come on up. Thank you. The reason why I need you is this— This passage gets a little bit confusing. So you guys can sit on our two spots. This passage gets a little bit confusing because the author talks to two different people in the span of like a sentence and a half. And so it's hard to know who is he talking to here versus who he's talking to there. So I'm going to use our two people. You're going to be, Leslie, the person who needs a little extra help, okay? Gail, you're going to be—I'm sorry. Gail, you're going to be the person offering help, okay? Okay? Needs a little extra help? Offering help. And what I want to do is I want to talk about this passage. It's in a letter called Galatians. And it's really powerful, talking about what is in my yard and what is in your yard, and what's my attitude in partnering with you in the things that are in your yard. And when do I need to say, you know what, that's not actually mine to pick up. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to talk about how it pertains to bad blood relationships. So let's start off with Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. The author says this, carry each other's burdens. Now, a burden was something that was too heavy to carry by yourself. Think about like a pile of boulders. That's a burden. Carry each other's burdens. We're responsible to help each other carry burdens. Because in doing that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Which you should be asking yourself right now, what's the law of Christ? Good question let me tell you. So you know the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. My son is in first grade. They've got this as one of their big rules in class. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is like the platinum rule. It's like one step beyond. See, Jesus said, I want you to love each other, not as you love yourself, love each other as I have loved you. And he said, in doing that, you will fulfill the entire law of Christ. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. If you love each other the way that I love you, you will fulfill all the laws. Part of the way we do that is, sometimes, Leslie, you're going to have things come up. Job loss, major sickness, uh, some sort of disease— A spouse, you won't have this. I'm not like speaking this over you because I see your husband over there. He's a great guy. But your spouse leaves, you know, a family member dies, something that is just too heavy to carry on your own. In those moments, this is when your community, and this is why groups are so important, this is why knowing each other in the church is so important. Your community will come over and bear your burdens in love. Okay, uh, so you could say it like this We're responsible to help each other bear any burden that has become too big for the other person to carry on their own. And then he goes on to say this. If any one of you—I'm, like, right here. This is nice. Yeah, hi, Gail. Gail's in my life group, by the way. Good friend of mine. She's not some random person I brought up on stage, and now I'm, like, inappropriately putting my arm around her. Like, Gail is fantastic. So. We're good. Okay, good. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, friends. Then Paul goes on and talks to Gail. And Paul says this to Gail. If anyone thinks that there's something when they're not, they are deceiving themselves. So Gail, here's the attitude you should have when you help Leslie. Because sometimes it's easy to think, oh, poor Leslie, she needs my help. Oh, looking down on Leslie. No, Gail needs to remember that she's had times where she's had burdens that were too heavy for her to carry on her own. And if she hasn't, she will someday. So Paul says, listen, don't get all high and mighty when you're carrying someone else's burdens. They can't do it on their own. And the truth is, you've been there too. And then Paul goes back to Leslie and says this to Leslie, Leslie, each one of you should test your own actions. So Leslie, you need to decide, is this actually a burden that I need help carrying? Or is this something I should be doing on my own? Because if it's something I should be doing on my own and I'm actually asking you to do it, it's not going to feel good for me. See, you can say it like this: I should not be asking you to help me carry something that I'm not willing to carry myself. Here's why. You and I were designed to be producers in this world, not simply consumers. And if we ask everyone else to do things that we ought to be doing ourselves, in the end. We'll get an entitled mentality, and we won't like what it does in us, and others will become resentful that we're not actually carrying what we ought to carry on our own. So Paul goes on to say, Wesley, you should test your own actions— And if you can carry it yourself, you ought to. And when you do that, then you can take pride. And this is like a good pride. This is like a graduating from college sort of pride, getting your first job sort of pride, Uh, paying your bills on time sort of pride. Not like an unhealthy, arrogant pride, like a, hey, I'm doing what I was supposed to be doing. Leslie, then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to someone else. And then he ends it like this. But each of you should carry your own load. Wait a minute, Paul, didn't you just say that we're supposed to carry each other's burdens? What do you mean I should carry my own load? That's a great question. A load is like your daily reality. Think of it like your backpack that you put on every day. You've got a few things that you're in charge of in your backpack, you're in charge of your attitude. You're in charge of setting your own alarm and getting up on time and going to school or going to work. You're in charge of making yourself breakfast. That's not someone else's job. That's not your spouse's job. Hello. (laughs) That's your own stuff. That's your burdens. That's your daily reality. And then you've got your loads, which are like every once in a while, life gets out of control and I can't do it on my own. So you're supposed to carry each other's loads and carry your own burdens. All right. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down from here. You should jump off. So Paul gives us some boundary markers in this passage. He says to us, listen, there are certain things that you cannot carry on your own. They're burdens, and you were never designed to carry them on your own. That's why you're supposed to live in community. No one is supposed to live life on our own. We're supposed to live life in a place where we are loved deeply, known fully, accepted right where we are, where we can be totally honest about our shortcomings and not be rejected or shunned, but actually invited into the process and partnered with. We should be carrying each other's burdens. And at the same time, each of us should carry our own daily responsibilities, our own thought life, our own actions, our own attitudes. And problems arise when we act as if those boulders are our daily loads and we refuse help. Uh, sometimes, those burdens that we're carrying for each other, sometimes they're of our own making. You're stuck in an addiction, and you can't get out. Okay, if you assume that that's a daily load that you have to carry on your own, you're going to get trapped you're going to feel isolated. You're going to have shame just creeping and you're never going to go for help. But listen, if you could have fixed it on your own, you would have. If your marriage is at a breaking point and you, you just had an anniversary, but you don't know if you're going to make it to your next anniversary, that is not a daily load that you should be carrying on your own. You need to invite people to partner with you and help you through it, help you thrive. Sometimes our burdens are of our own making, Sometimes they're not. A sickness, disease, a job loss. This is when the community comes in. Yesterday, my family and I were celebrating Finkbeiner Family Fun Day. There's this ancient practice called the Sabbath. The Sabbath is when you take a day just to rest and celebrate and remember who's really in charge of the world. So on Sabbath, we don't work. It's crazy. I'm not talking about like vocation. I'm not saying I don't come to church. I don't come to church. Um, but I'm talking about like any work, housework, yard work, grocery shopping. We had a load of laundry that just sat in our living room all day yesterday, unfolded. What? Yeah, the dog helped. She took some to various spots, (laughs) but we didn't fold any laundry because we're remembering that while we rest, God still works on our behalf. So yesterday, we're having Think Family Fun Day. I was still in my pajamas at 11.30 in the morning, had just played some Mario Brothers uh, on the Wii with my kids. We're on level eight of eight, by the way. Very exciting. And all of a sudden, we hear on Bodega, where we live, we hear, (coughs) that's not a good sound. So I go out with my sweatpants on and my sweatshirt, you know, zipped up and there's this person that's gone off the road on the other side of the street, down away from us. So I go over. I say, "Are you okay?" She comes out. She's a young gal, tw- early twenties, sunglasses on, crying a little bit. She'd gone off the embankment, threw some signs into a fence. Cars, cars in trouble. I said, "Are you hurt?" She's just, you know, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. So I call. 911, get the police. They're on their way out. I'm sitting with her, hanging out. Um, there was like a, there was a snake in the grass next to us. And I, so I really wanted to catch it because that's me, but I didn't. I just shoot it away because I'm learning how to be mature in my uh, 37th year. So I shoo the snake away. And I say to her, hey, do you want to call your parents? She's like, no, I don't want to. And I can't figure it out. I'm like, honey, you're your car is, it's, she's like, can I drive away? No, no, you can't drive away. No, you're like six feet down an embankment. So I asked her again, like 10 minutes later, hey, do you want to call your parents? No, I don't want to call my parents. I said, are you scared? She said, yeah, I'm scared. Okay, I I get that. Totaled a lot of cars in my 20s. (laughs) I said, do you want to call a friend? I don't want to call a friend. Well, Okay, so I stay with her till the police get there, and they're talking to her, and they kind of kindly, kind of thanks for everything, you know. I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. They're like, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's been fun. So I go inside, and and me being me, I'm watching out the window, you know, like what's gonna happen, and and then they handcuff her. So I come out, um, like, oh, that's not, that can't be good. So I'm just kind of hanging out, you know, just and the officer, I said. Uh, hey, if there's anything I can do, you know, I'm a pastor. Um, He's like, well, I need your name, I need your report, because she was actually intoxicated when she went off the road. Okay, here's a young lady who now has a burden of her own doing, but it doesn't change the fact that she needs help. But she was acting as if her boulder at that moment was a daily load that she should carry on her own, and she refused help to her detriment. And that's heartbreaking. But problems also arise when we act as if our daily loads are boulders that we shouldn't have to carry. The other side is true. If you're in a relationship and the other person says to you, listen, I never used to get angry and yell and scream and punch walls and throw things until I met you, so it's clearly your fault. No, no. Their attitude, their actions, their words are their responsibility. Are you helping things? Maybe not. Maybe you need to do your part to not poke the bear or lioness. (laughs) I'm equal opportunity. But problems arise when we don't take responsibility for what is in our backpack when your kid comes home from college after graduating and sits on the sofa for two years. And I'm not talking about like multi-generational families paying the mortgage together, living together in this beautiful picture of multi-generation. I'm talking like laying on the sofa. The big decision is which stretch pants should I put on for the day? Uh, You know, not getting a job. And you look at them and think, why aren't you going to get a job? And they would look at you and say, why would I do that? I've gone from college to retirement. Like, listen, (laughs) no, I'm not going to get it. What? And you let them live in your house for years. Okay. You are taking from them what they ought to be carrying on their own. Adulthood. Responsibility. I remember the first time, uh, the first time that I bounced a check in college. I called my parents and I was like, hey, I bounced a check and I got this overdraft charge. And they were like, oh, You should pay it. (laughs) Was that a good thing they did? Yeah. Did I think so at the time? No. I thought my parents are the most unloving, hateful, uncaring people in the world. But what did they show me? Hey, guess what, dude? You got to have money in the bank before you spend money. And if you don't, it's going to hurt you. So you know what? I've lived debt-free my entire adult life. No, I married, you know, carry each other's burdens, and we paid it off. That's cool. Sorry, baby. Sorry, baby. But I the lesson. I learned the lesson early. Okay, right, moving on, moving on. Next slide, next slide, next slide, next slide. Or next slide. We are res- Don't walk out. Come on. Was good- we are responsible to help carry one another's burdens, and everyone's responsible for carrying their own loads. When you and I feel responsible for carrying someone else's loads, we are robbing that person of the outcome of their decisions. And that is not loving. Because sometimes it's not until that person feels the outcome of their decision that they're pressed to change. So a boundary, it simply gives someone back control of the decisions that they are making a boundary is like saying listen you don't have to get a job but you can't live here rent free for the rest of your life so you can move out and if you choose not to get a job that will be your choice a boundary is saying listen you can't you can't keep treating me that way and expecting me to just keep coming back i'm not a fool i don't return to my vomit A boundary is saying, listen, you can't be married to me and dating him. Like, no, what? No, no, no. Boundaries give people back control of their decision. And that might be the most loving thing you could do for them. Because Jesus followers, we get really mixed up. We think that unconditional love and unconditional acceptance— are synonymous but the truth is unconditional love does not mean unconditional assistance unconditional love does not mean unconditional and unlimited acceptance of a bad behavior it, it doesn't unconditional love means i'm going to give you responsibility of your choices and when you are ready to own that i will be here waiting but in my yard that will not be allowed anymore. And here's the great thing about love. Love can be done from a distance. You can love someone and have a boundary. You can keep your heart open to someone and give them responsibility for their own life. When we don't set up boundaries, when we give unlimited assistance, we're communicating to people that we believe that we can save them. If we just keep giving and doing that, we will save them. The truth is, unless someone wants to be helped, your help is not helpful in that moment. Here's the other thing. You can't change the human heart. You can't transform someone's life. You can help them when they're ready to experience change. But when we don't set boundaries, we act as if we are the functional savior of someone else. And you were never meant to sit in that seat, and neither was I. As we close, let me share just a few beneficial boundaries with us. The first benefit to boundaries is boundaries release control of a person, and it gives them back control of their life. Oftentimes, when we don't set boundaries, it's because secretly we want to be in control. And it's a situation that is out of control. So, setting a healthy boundary releases control of the person to the person. Healthy boundaries reevaluate the situation in time. A boundary isn't forever, a boundary is for a season six months, a year, two years. At the end of that time, it is reevaluated and you decide have things changed? Is it time for you to come back in? A boundary is not the Great Wall of China, a boundary is a fence with a gate. And you have the ability to open the gate when you're ready to open it. A boundary is not forever. I think that's the problem. With some of us who don't like uh, the mess of relationships, we think we're setting boundaries when we're actually building walls to close people out, never to be seen from again. That's not a boundary. A boundary is like a nice white picket fence with a gate that opens from the inside when you reevaluate. And boundaries keep us accountable. The great thing about boundaries are when the relationships, usually boundaryless relationships, are relationships where we're really emotionally connected. A spouse, a child, a best friend, like really, really emotionally connected. And sometimes we're so close and so deep in the relationship that we can't see the forest for the trees. Boundaries keep us accountable. When we say for six months, we're going to shut that door. For six months, until you get help, we aren't going to re-engage. Then you you get accountability. This is where your group comes in, your life group, your community group. This is where your friendship circle comes in, and they keep us accountable to the things that we are doing. And if you do that, you can have peace about the relationship, even without peace in the relationship. And in the process, if you're a praying person, You ask God to bring peace back in to the relationship. And we keep that gate unlocked, trusting that the other person will change, hoping they do, so you can open the gate back up and invite them back in. In the end, setting healthy boundaries reminds us that we are not someone else's savior, but that Jesus is which is really, really good news. This is the good news of the story of Jesus. That he offers love and forgiveness and hope and transformation to everyone. That he loves unconditionally. And the only boundary he's set is that you and I would receive that unconditional love poured out for us and shown to us when he gave his life on the cross. That we would receive what's been given and walk in with him. And ultimately, when we do that, he invites us into a life of continued change and transformation and hope and healing. But Jesus won't force you. He's a gentleman. And he won't enable you. He's a true friend. But he'll partner with you. When you're ready. And when we set boundaries, it's for the, the goal and the hope of restoring a relationship and ultimate partnership. Now, if you're jumping at this, if you're like, "Woohoo!" Okay, go back and listen to the other part of the series. If you have someone, and as I've been talking, you're thinking, oh, I think, I, I think that's us. Grab the book. Do some reading. You don't need to call them today and set that boundary be slow, be methodical, be patient, ask some friends, and then set an appropriate healthy boundary with the goal and the hope of restoring the relationship. Friends, we're wrapping this series here. It has been one of the more challenging series that I've taught in a while for me personally. I hope it's brought freedom for you. If you want to talk more about it, you know where to find me. I'm here every day except for Friday and Saturday. And on Saturday, I ain't folding laundry. So look for me on Sunday. Next week is Mother's Day. Yay, for moms. Listen, I want to set your expectations appropriately because I don't want you to get mad at me. So I'm setting a healthy boundary. I thought about what should I talk about on on Mother's Day? It's Mother's Day, for goodness sake. Well, I could talk about how great mothers are, which is true. Come on, mothers are great. Listen, or I could challenge mothers to be even better, which we're we all all great and we could all use challenge. Not so much clapping on that. But here's what I know about Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, your kids are going to ask you, hey mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? If you have have a husband or kids, they're going to ask you on about Friday, hey mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? Uh, Because Amazon Prime, we still got time. And if you say to them, I really want you to come to church with me. And then we talk about how great you are. Your kids will leave thinking, mom's great. Okay. But will they want to come back the next week? Maybe not. I don't know. So we'll see you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so I decided to do something different. I'm going to launch a brand new series next week. The title of it is, Who Needs God? Who Needs God? Because our world is actually actively, and you can watch statistics, walking away from God. And when we walk away from God, we're walking towards something. And the thing we're walking towards is unsettling. And so I read a couple of books by the New Atheists, kind of this big group of of atheist thinkers, talking about what atheism looks like. When you walk away from God and walk towards something, what are you walking towards? And I'll tell you, it's unsettling. It it doesn't mean that it's not true. And I'm not going to actually argue that next week, but I will tell you, the things that you're walking towards are unsettling. So I'd like you to do this. Would you do this for me? It'll be our big Mother's Day plan. I'll do it for my Mother's Day, too. When your kids ask you, what do you want? Say, would you come to church with me? And next week, I'm going to talk about when you walk away from the church, when you walk away from Jesus, when you walk away from religion, from faith, what are you walking towards? And I can almost guarantee you, your friends, your kids, your spouse, they haven't thought about it like this yet. And it might pique their interest. And they might want to come back. And this series is going to be one of the best series that we've done in a long time. And after that, I'm starting a series by a guy named Bob Goff, who wrote a book called Love Does a number of years ago. He just wrote the second part of that book called Everybody Always. And if we're going to be a church that's for NorCal, this book on how to love everybody always is going to be so, so good for us. It's going to be a fun, fun summer. So you guys, get ready. Mother's Day starts our new series, Who Needs God?, After that, we start everybody always. We walk right into the fall. Oh, you guys, what God's doing in this community, what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in Sonoma County, forget about it. So, so good. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Be reconciled. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.